We've gotten two special piano pieces out of Audra in a week. This is great. Christmas Eve service and uh, this morning. So thank you very much uh, for serving us. Uh, it is a delight uh, just to sit and rejoice in, uh, in what the Lord has done and, and listen to her, her play the piano to God's glory. Um, uh, this morning, uh, we're going to do something a little different than we typically do, um, and uh, I'll explain where we're going to go in just a minute, but uh, to give you kind of a, a map of the next few weeks or month or so, uh, I wanted to let you know what we're going to be doing. Um, we had started a series, we finished the book of James, and then we had started a series on the gospel um, called How About Some Good News, and I'm trying to put the gospel story in context of the whole scriptures. And so I did two weeks on that, um, and then that was back in November, I believe, and then um, I had to take a week off, and, uh, and then Marcel preached, and then we, we got into our series on Advent, and uh, so we're here with one, this is the last Sunday of 2020, and when we get into the new year next Sunday, I plan on going back to that series on, on the gospel, and so we'll have, I think, just two more weeks in that, and uh, we're going to be looking at the different... Um, motifs, different paradigms of atonement, um, so the different ways that the scripture presents Christ's work. Uh, it certainly is a substitutionary atonement. We call it penal substitutionary atonement, where Christ dies for our sins in our place, but there are other ways that the Bible presents the work of Christ. Uh, one common way is Christus Victor is kind of the technical name for it. Christ is the victor over the powers of sin and over death. And you can see that very early on in the scriptures with the promise that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, right? And so Christ wins the victory for us again, um, but it's a little bit of a different angle on his work. And actually there are a couple of others that the Bible draws our attention to. So I want to look at those different ways that the scriptures present Christ's work, and they all sort of fit together into this beautiful picture of what Jesus has done. So we'll be doing that next week. Uh, and then the week after that, we're just going to talk about some of the application and the benefits that come to us as a result of Christ's work. And so I think that will be encouraging to you. Uh, all of those are a little more topical uh, messages. But then after that, the plan is to get into another book study and uh, we're going to do the book of Exodus. So um, it's, it's a big book and it's challenging, uh, but man, I have been so just blown away by uh, the presentation of who God is and of his work in the book of Exodus. And so I'm thrilled to jump into that study with you and uh, sort of bring out what's there in the scriptures regarding the God that we serve and who has redeemed us. And then the, the ultimate Old Testament paradigm for salvation, which is God bringing his people out of Egypt through atonement and through the death of the lamb, the Passover there. And so I'm really looking forward to that, but we'll be getting into that in later January. Uh, and then we'll spend quite a few months in the book of Exodus. But uh, this morning, I want you to open your Bibles up to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1. This is obviously the last week of 2020 and uh, looking forward to a new year. And uh, the new year is a, I, I like new years, um, the opportunity to sort of evaluate uh, to examine your own life, uh, to look at what you're doing, how the last year has gone. Um, and I think for us as a church body, it's a good time to, for me to remind you 
of exactly what it is that we're doing here as a church. Um, what are we all about? Uh, why do we gather every Sunday? I mean, why, why is this so important? What are we doing? What are we doing in our relationships with one another? What's the purpose of all of this? What is my goal and what is your goal? Hopefully those are the same goal <laughs> that we have. But why are you here? Why are you a part of the body of Woodhaven Bible Church? Why are you coming week after week to church? And so I want to remind you of that this morning from Colossians chapter 1 and verses 28 and 29. Now in this passage, Paul is talking about the ministry that God has given to him. So he's reminding the Colossians of his ministry of what he has been given. So look back up. We'll get to 28 and 29 in just a second. But look back up to 24 through 26. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, right? So he is ministering for the sake of the church, of which... I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And so as, you, as we read these verses, you can see that Paul has been given a task and his task is to make the word of God fully known. And he does that and he is a steward of that. And so you understand the idea of stewardship. It's not ultimately his possession. The church does not belong to him. The word of God does not belong to him. The gospel does not belong to him and him alone. But he has received it and he is taking care of it. And he is a steward of it. It belongs to God. This is God's church. We are God's body and Paul is saying he has been given a stewardship to take care of this church and, and the body here that he's writing to, and he's protecting what belongs to someone else, to God. And so in verse 25, you can see that his task is to make the word of God fully known. To say that task another way, let's jump ahead to our verse this morning, verse 28, him being Christ, we proclaim. So making the word of God fully known, proclaiming Christ's. Christ is the, is the task that he has been given. And you can see here he does this task in verse 28 in a couple of particular ways. It says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom. And so that's the way in which Paul goes about his task. He warns people, he teaches people, and he does that with all wisdom. But I want to focus this morning on the goal. What is, what's the purpose behind why he's proclaiming Christ? Why he's making the word of God fully known? Why he's warning and teaching and preaching? Look at the end of verse 28, and this is the end game. This is the purpose of Paul's ministry. This is what he's striving for. Verse 28, he's teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So this is the end game, and this is the end goal of our ministry here at Woodhaven Bible Church. This is what we're striving for. So you can see here in this goal that Paul is proclaiming Christ in the present, right now, week after week, 
through his writing, through his preaching, through his warning and teaching, he's proclaiming Christ in the present, and he's doing that in order to reach a goal. I mean, his goal is stated here, two, that we may present. That's looking ahead to the future. And so he's looking ahead to the future, and he's saying, my goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. And that idea of presenting everyone here is talking about handing someone over to another person, right? Um, I want to try to help you to see what this, this word is picturing here. Uh, this is another passage that uses the same word to try to give you a word picture of this, right? Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser, and then here's our word, hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. And so the, the picture here is one person having charge of another and handing that person over and presenting them to someone else. And so Paul is saying here that in the present, he has received a group of people, a church, and they are in a particular condition. He's received them as they are, redeemed by the Lord, but still in need of a lot of work. And he says that in the future, his goal is to hand them over to God, to present them to God in a different condition, to make progress and growth toward a particular end. What's that end? Well, it's the, it's the same, uh, it's, he says it here in verse 28, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Maturity is the end goal here. That's, that's what he wants to do. It's the same idea in, verse, in chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. It's the same idea of presentation here. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Right? Same idea of presentation with the same goal, just stated in different words. In verse 21 and 22, it's holy and blameless. In verse 28, the goal is maturity in Christ. And so, the purpose of all that we do all of our interactions, every single time we gather here on Sunday and meet with one another, every time we do small groups, every event we have, all the books, everything, the singing, all of it is to move us from a state of spiritual immaturity along the pathway to spiritual maturity, to mature one another in Christ. Now, that word, mature, We've talked about that word quite a bit. We've just studied the book of James, spent most of this year studying the book of James, and that word and that concept is really key in the book of James. I mean, if you remember, the, the title for the whole series was Wisdom for Wholeness, and wholeness is that idea of maturity. It's to grow to completeness. It's, it's to, to be perfect, except not sinless. It's to not have a significant weakness or a debilitating weakness. It's to, to grow to wholeness. And so here, when Paul in verse 28 is talking about maturity in Christ, he's talking about spiritual maturity or spiritual wholeness. And the spiritual whole, spiritually mature person resembles Christ. He's in Christ. He looks like the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to try to help you to understand this 
growth to maturity a little bit, and, and let's bring this concept over to the realm of, of children growing up. Uh, some of you in here have kids. Some of you, your children are fully grown into adults. But I think all of us understand this concept when it comes to children, right? One of the jobs of parents is to ensure that children grow up to maturity physically. And so you want them to eat healthy food, at least some healthy food, some of the time, because they resist that often. <laughs> you want them to eat some healthy food, and you want them to exercise, and you, you want them to be prepared physically for adulthood. You don't want them to be sickly, right? And so you want your kids to grow physically into maturity for adulthood. And beyond that, it's not just physical. Your, your job is not just to get them to adulthood physically in reasonable health. As a parent, you want them to grow emotionally. I mean, you want them to grow mentally as well. I mean, you want them to go from a state of immaturity where they can't take care of themselves, they can't make their own food, they can't drive a car, they can't do all of these things that are necessary to function in life, and you want to help them grow to maturity. They can take care of themselves. They're functional adults. But in that realm of parenting and with children, the process of maturing them doesn't happen because you sit them down when they reach a certain age and you outline all the ways that they need to mature to be ready for adulthood. I mean, you don't hand them a list and say, okay, here's the things that you need to do. This process of maturity happens slowly over time. And it happens in fits and starts. Sometimes they seem to be making great progress in emotional and mental maturity. And then the next week, you're like, what happened to you? You have taken several steps backwards this week, and I do not understand this. And so it takes years for this process to occur. It goes well, and then it goes poorly. But even as it takes years, and it is a slow process, with your children... There are times where you sort of sit back and you think and you evaluate and you say, okay, here are some areas where this child needs to grow. This child needs to make progress. And so you evaluate and you make plans for them to grow in these certain areas. And bringing this concept of maturity back over into the spiritual realm, I think the new year is a wonderful opportunity to sort of press pause for us this morning and to evaluate our progress. I have, I'm under no delusions that everyone is going to suddenly grow to maturity because of this 45-minute sermon this morning. It's just not going to happen that way because of this list that I give you. But this is a time for all of us to evaluate our progress and to say the goal is maturity in Christ. So how am I doing in this? What are some areas in which I can make some strides this coming year and accelerate this process of growth to maturity? I mean, with kids, there are certain standard indicators of maturity, right? There are certain things physically, emotionally, mentally, all of that that indicate they are making good progress toward adulthood. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. There are clear and good indicators of spiritual maturity that take place in our lives. And so I want to give you some of those this morning. 
Uh, There are many others. I am confident of that. And the four that I'm going to give you this morning are not all derived from one particular passage of Scripture. I admit to you, this is something, these are four areas that, honestly, it's me just kind of sitting back and evaluating and watching and saying, okay, here's some things that I think I need to grow in and that I think our church body needs to grow in. And probably Christians in general, all of us need to grow in. And so... um, These are things that that I want to give you for your encouragement and to challenge you and to sort of prod you in this process of growth towards spiritual maturity. So this morning we're going to do four areas of evaluation for growth towards spiritual maturity. Four areas of evaluation for growth toward spiritual maturity. The first one of these, commit to church attendance and involvement. Now, I, I told you last week that I was not going to spend the morning this morning talking about lessons learned from 2020, and I'm not going to do that. But I will say, if for me, and probably for you too, if there was a dominant lesson learned for us as a church this past year, it has got, this has got to be near the top of the list, the high privilege And I use that word intentionally. The high privilege and vital necessity of gathering together physically as a church body. That has got to be near the top of the lessons learned in 2020. Now, I cannot tell you, it would be hard to convey in words just how much I despised the months of April and May on Sunday mornings when five of us, now I like the five people that gathered every week, right? It was good to see them, but I cannot tell you how much I despise those two months when the five of us would come here on Sunday morning and the auditorium and the church building were empty and none of you were here and we would come in and man, everybody did fantastic work with the live stream and the music and singing and all of that. And we would do the live stream so that you could sit at home and watch it. And I, I cannot tell you how much I hated those times. And I think you probably did too. And I, I get it. I know why we did it. I, I'm not mad that we did it that way. I think we needed to do it that way. But it was awful. <laughs> it was. And I, I get it. I understand even this morning. I totally understand why some people are not able to make it on Sunday still and haven't for a while. I get it. I understand the safety concerns. I understand why some people are staying at home. And I think one of the things I've learned is we all have to be very gracious with one another in the midst of this pandemic. People see things differently. People have different health concerns. It is a crazy time. And so just be gentle and gracious with one another and deal with people where they are in the midst of this. But all of that can still be true, and we can learn from this year that when you cannot gather together physically, my hope is that you have learned from this year, if you cannot gather together physically with the church body week in and week out, I hope it has felt like you are in the Sahara Desert without water. This is awful. I don't like this. I'm going to die if I cannot gather back with the church body. Jesus died on the cross to bring the church into existence, to save people 
And not just to save them so that they can sort of float on their own spiritually. But he saved them to bring them into his body and to unite them together with other believers. Some believers they get along with magnificently and others they don't. And that's okay. But he brought them together in a church body to come and to live life together. To push one another towards spiritual maturity. And to worship him week in and week out together. Listen to these words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German uh, theologian and pastor who lost his life as a martyr in Germany, in Nazi Germany, in the 1940s. Tragically, he was killed just a few months, I think, before uh, Germany was liberated. But uh, he wrote a wonderful little book called Life Together, talking about the importance of living life together as a church and community. And here's what he said about the privilege of community. It is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. I would say 2020 has taught me that too often I take this for for granted, gathering on Sundays. When it is taken away from you, all of a sudden, oh man, this is important. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. I mean, that has been pressed hard on us this year. And I hope we learn from that. And I hope... My desire is that we would know that to grow to spiritual maturity, to to fulfill the goal that Paul is outlining here for growth, means that you and I must not shun this gift that we have been given, this gift called the church of Jesus Christ. And the local expression of that, Woodhaven Bible Church. And so this means, for the new year, committing to being here, Encouraging one another just by your presence and committing to getting involved in every possible way that you can because you've received this gift of grace. All the caveats in the world apply during this pandemic, but let's learn this lesson. So that's the first area of evaluation. Second, grow in gospel understanding and application. And so if you look back at chapter 1, Colossians 1 and verse 28, The heart of Paul's ministry is proclaiming Christ. Verse 28, him we proclaim. And so when you think about proclaiming Christ, you probably think of him preaching doctrine about the Lord Jesus Christ, which he gives us in verses 15 through 20, really all the way through verse 23. And I'm not going to go back and read that. You can do that later. But you probably think about Paul proclaiming doctrine, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. But it's interesting, as I read earlier in verse 28, that he proclaims Christ by warning and teaching. And so he does more than simply recount 
doctrines about Christ. The warning and teaching means that he applies the doctrines of Christ and his work to people. And there are significant warnings that come from the fact that, verse 17, Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together. There are applications of that truth to our lives. There are massively important warnings and encouragements and instruction and teaching that comes from that. And so here's what I'm saying in this second area of evaluation. My encouragement for you, for me, would be for us to grow in our understanding and application of the gospel this year. To know what Christ did and then to make that jump from knowing the truths that he is Lord, he is 100% God and 100% man, to, okay, what does that mean for daily life this coming week? I want to give you just a couple of examples of this. And again, we'll talk about this in a few weeks when we go through our gospel series again. One example of this would be, when I understand, when Christ is proclaimed, the work that he has done is proclaimed, the gospel helps me desire to change. I want to change when I rightly understand who Christ is and what he has done. When Christ saves you, when he rescues you from sin, your desires change and you no longer want to go back into slavery to sin. And so the gospel motivates a desire to change within us. Paul makes this quite clear in Titus 2, a familiar passage probably. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession or zealous for good works. And so the gospel motivates a desire to change within me. God's grace, understood, helps me to want to pursue holiness and purity and a life that reflects Christ. So that's that's an application of proclaiming Christ to our lives, desire to change. Here's another one. The gospel brings contentment no matter what my circumstances are. I mean, I think we all probably hope 2021 will be a little different than 2020, but it may not be. It might be very much the same. It may be worse. But a commitment to proclaiming Christ, to knowing Christ, and to the gospel means that I can be content no matter what this new year brings into my life. Why? How is that even possible to be content in all circumstances? And how does that connect back to the gospel? 2 Peter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. And he continues on there. But we have all we need in Christ, in the work that he has done. 
And so our contentment is not driven by external circumstances. It's actually driven by the fact that we have all we need for life and for godliness through Christ and through his work. And so no matter what's happening around us, outside of us, we can turn to the scriptures and find contentment and rest in Christ because of what he's done. I have all that I need, no matter what's happening around me. Now, there's no doubt that contentment is not a a switch that you flip on. This is something you have to learn, but you learn it as you go back to these truths about Christ and about having all that you need through him. And sometimes in the midst of a year like this year, it requires you clinging to these truths with some level of desperation. Almost like, I don't have anywhere else to turn. I've got to be fulfilled in Christ. He has to be all that I need because everything else seems to be going haywire in the world around me. The last application that I'll give you from this is that the gospel grounds me in this understanding that God loves me and that does not change based on my performance. God's love for me does not increase tomorrow morning because I get up and read my Bible and pray. Neither does his love for me diminish because I forget to do that tomorrow morning. And understanding that consistent and faithful love that God has for me through Christ and because of Christ, that actually changes my heart and motivates change and motivates me to go to God's word. I mean, this is, I think, one of the implications of this truth from Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God. We talked about this at the Christmas Eve service, but we have been reconciled to God through our mediator, and so now we have peace with him. And because of our mediator, God's affection and love for us does not shift and change with our performance. I love this little book. We have it back there actually on the bookshelf, The Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. But here's what he says. The gospel also reminds me that my righteous standing with God always holds firm, regardless of my performance, because my standing is based solely on the work of Jesus and not mine. On my worst days of sin and failure, the gospel encourages me with God's unrelenting grace toward me. On my best days of victory and usefulness, the gospel keeps me relating to God solely on the basis of Jesus' righteousness and not mine. I think this is really hard for us because we want to have something to do with God's love for us. We want our performance to manipulate God into liking us more. Our sinful pride lifts us up and we want to contribute to God's love and affection for us. We want to be able to say, look at me, I'm a cut above. I'm not like those people. And so God likes me more. But the reality is, is that God's love does not rest on us because we're so great. God's affection for us is found in the fact that he created us and in the fact that he sent his son to redeem us because he loved us. And so it does not shift and change based on our performance, good or bad. And you can rest in that love day in and day out, regardless of your performance. 
And so my encouragement would be pursue gospel growth in understanding the gospel and applying the gospel to your life this coming year. Third area for evaluation. Determine what will influence and shape you. I think this topic of influence on believers and what is influencing us is the most significant topic facing churches and Christians right now in our world. This is it. Here's a passage that I think draws this out a little bit. I'll tell you why I'm laughing in a second. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with wise with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Now, the reason I'm laughing is because every time I read this verse, in my head, I hear my youth pastor quoting this verse in sermon after sermon to us as teenagers. And in 1996 and 97, he was using this verse in a right way, I think, And applying it to us teenagers and saying, be careful who you build your friendships with. Be careful who you run with on the weekends. And be careful who influences you. Who you get in the car with. All of that stuff, right? I think that's a good application of this. But from 1996 and 97 or whatever to today the application of this verse has broadened out consistently. And sometimes principles like this, we tend to think these are good principles for teenagers because they're choosing friends. And somehow when we get to adulthood, we sort of move beyond this thing of influence. And we're not so concerned about who is shaping us and forming the way we think. We don't think walking with wise men is really that much of a big deal for us because we're discerning. We know right from wrong. We're reasonable people and we can evaluate what's coming into our brains more and and better on average than most people. And so the question I think this verse poses to us is who are you walking with day by day through your media consumption? Who is determining and shaping your view of the world? What's getting in there hour after hour, day after day? Now, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I feel like I tire people out from mentioning this topic of influence. I say too much. I joke sometimes about cable news and social media and and try to draw application and not get too forceful with it in the pulpit. And sometimes I feel like a broken record, which if you're under 30, you can ask your parents later what that word image means, (laughs) broken record. They'll explain it to you. Although I guess record players now are back in, they're like, they're hip and vintage, right? So maybe you don't need me to explain it to you or your parents. But sometimes I really do. I feel like I hit on this regularly. Maybe you don't feel that way. But I am convinced that this is increasingly the issue facing the church. To grow to spiritual maturity, you and I have to reckon with what we are letting into our hearts and minds. We have to determine in advance how we're going to set up the course of our lives and what is going to shape us through all sorts of media consumption. 
One of the most familiar psalms in the whole Psalter makes this quite clear. Maybe you've never thought of it this way, but Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, it's that word again, who walks, which the walk just means the daily pattern of your life. It's what you do every morning. It's what you do in the afternoon. It's what you do when you get home at night. How do you spend those hours after work? How do you spend your time on the drive into work? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This matter of influence is fundamental to living a good life and growing in the Lord. And I say a good life because that's what this word blessed means. It means flourishing. It means living well to full human capacity as God intended us to live. Influence matters when it comes to living well and honoring the Lord and growing in the Lord. The difference here between the one who doesn't live well the one who is like the chaff that the wind drives away, and the one who is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bears its fruit in its season. The difference between those two is what influences them. Is it the word of God on a consistent basis, or is it all of these voices coming from the world that are shaping and determining? I'll tell you, I have realized in my own life I am not good enough I am not strong enough, I am not spiritual enough to spend even a little bit of time every day, and certainly not hours of time every day scrolling and clicking or watching or letting the primary voices of influence, and I mean primary from the amount of time, volume of hours, letting these voices get into my head. I am not good enough, I am not strong enough to let them, these, all of these other voices, be the primary influences on my soul from the world and to not come away profoundly shaped spiritually, mentally, emotionally. It impacts the way I see people, the way I interact with people, the way I see the world. And often it impacts me really without me knowing it because it's a gradual process that takes place. It's a walk. It's consistency. And so I cannot do it. And I have a hunch, based on Psalm 1, that you can't either. And so I'm not telling you exactly what to do. I'm not going to get into specifics of number of hours that you spend watching cable news or scrolling on Facebook or anything like that. And I feel like I'm being very direct this morning. And I don't always like to be really direct. But I don't know what's influencing you. I don't know what's shaping you. Maybe you have much better media consumption habits than I do. But I can tell you, the Bible is absolutely clear on this. Absolutely clear. That what influences you will shape you and will point your life in a particular direction in ways that you and I cannot even imagine that are taking place. And Psalm 1 and so many other places in Scripture are absolutely clear that the Word of God must be the primary shaper in your life. And nothing else can even come close. And so evaluating what is influencing you and directing that in the new year is so vital for us. 
And that leads us to our fourth one, and I'm going to go quickly through this. Change habits and practices to reflect biblical priorities. This whole idea of walk plays into this. You read about your walk all over the scriptures. We just read it in Psalm 1, Proverbs 13. I think I have it on the screen. I don't. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, walk worthy. Colossians 2, if you look down after this passage where Paul talks about proclaiming Christ in Colossians 2, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him, right? This is not a one-time thing that you get into. This is a consistent habit and practice of your life. Here's a quote that I love. We become the people we are by what we choose to do again. Not but. We become the people we are by what we choose to do again. What you do today and then tomorrow and then the next day shapes you into the person that you will become in a month and in a year. And the Bible bears this out by using this word walk. And so you can make a New Year's resolution, but statistics say, right, 88% or something of people will not follow through on their New Year's resolution. And at least part of the reason for that is because we do not set these resolutions to influence us on the, the level of habits and practices. We don't actually figure out how am I going to do this on a day-to-day basis? What am I going to pull out of my life and then put this into my life tomorrow and the next day and the next day so that this becomes a walk in my life and a habit and a practice. And so I mentioned the resource of the month. I don't think this will solve all of your problems, but I do think this is a helpful book to to get you going in this habit and practice development. The Common Rule is the name of it. It's very well written. It's clear. It's an excellent read. And I would encourage you to get it because it will challenge you in this area of your walk and your habits and your practices. His whole purpose in the book is for you to develop a rule of life. It's not a legalistic thing, but it's a a way of living that is consistent and faithful and that bears you up in the midst of difficult times because you have these habits and practices in your life. And it's very helpful. It even talks about your phone habits and practices. So uh, it is convicting in that way. It's quite good. So I would encourage you uh, to get it and read it and discuss it with a spouse or a, a child or someone else. So here's these four things, areas of evaluation. I know there are others. There may be something for you that is more significant than these four, and that is absolutely fine. Do the evaluation. Consider these areas. But the new year is a wonderful time to reflect on this. It's a time to reflect on God's grace to us in the gospel and then how that grace motivates us to change and move forward in the new year. Look to the past, rejoice in what God has done, and anticipate growth this coming year. Anticipate that God really does want you to grow in maturity, and he really will make that happen as you commit yourself to to these areas. And so we have a few days before January 1st. I hope you'll do some personal evaluation, write some things down, talk about them with somebody else, and figure out what you can do all the while keeping this goal of verse 28 in mind, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
It's not a self-centered you know, process of evaluation. It's for the goal of growing to holiness and Christ-likeness in 2021. Everything aims there for the new year. So take, evaluate, and I pray that the Lord will help you. Let's pray. God, we're, we're thankful for your word. It challenges us, it warns us, and teaches us, and also encourages us. And so I pray for folks here that you would uh, motivate them to desire to change going into 2021. And Lord, that your grace would be upon us, your spirit would work in our hearts so that we can be people who grow to maturity in Christ. Thank you for all you've done. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us as we close in worship.